salvation and in terms of saving people from a famine for hundreds of thousands of people, including his own family, and how God moved him from a place of being betrayed to being able to forgive the very brothers that had betrayed him. This morning, we turn our attention to Moses and to Miriam and to their testimony of what God has done in the, in the life of their lives and also in the life of Israel at this point in Exodus. And so hopefully by now you found uh, your place. And so if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 21. It says this, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they were down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you have overthrown your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to, the, to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. And now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning. Father, we join the song of Moses and Miriam and all of Israel that our God, our God has triumphed victoriously, that he is great and powerful, 
And we are thankful to be in your presence, and we are thankful to be under your care. We are thankful that you have made a way of salvation and have drawn us into it. We are thankful that we are yours. Father, may we declare all of that on the mountaintops. Lord, may we share it with those that we come into contact with. Lord, may we have a passion for you, for your word, and this great news that you have given us. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to chapter 15, as we come to chapter 15 of Exodus, we see something incredible that's happened. Many of you probably already know the story, but in Exodus we have the account of Israel leaving Egypt out of slavery and going on their way to the promised land. And so as Moses and Miriam are singing, they are not just singing the testimony of what has occurred in the here and now, but they're singing of what has progressed over the last few months, we think. You see, when you go to the beginning of Exodus, what you find is a helpless and a hopeless people. Israel finds itself at the beginning of Exodus enslaved to the people of Egypt. You'll remember with me last week that we talked about Joseph, and Joseph had found himself the second most powerful person in all of Egypt And because of that, he was able to save his brothers and his father and invite that family in. And not only to save them during a time of famine, but he gave them a place to live in the midst of Egypt. And there, God blessed them and they they began to multiply and they became stronger in numbers and in power. But eventually, Joseph dies and everyone that remembers him and what he did dies And a new Pharaoh comes along and he looks and he sees Israel not as a blessing, not as a good thing, but as a threat. And so he enslaves them. He forces them to make mud bricks. He uses them as forced labor. And Israel finds themselves in this hopeless situation and they begin to call out to God, we need help. They're helpless to save themselves. There's no way this family, this people group of shepherds and slaves is going to be able to free themselves from the most powerful country, most powerful nation in the world at the time. There's no way that's going to happen. And it's hopeless because there's no one that's coming to get them. There's no one that's going to fight on Israel's behalf. There's no one that is going to come rescue them. And so again, they begin to cry out, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. And we see the grace and the desire of God to do just that. That God desires for his people to be free. That he desires for them to be separate. That he desires for them to take them to that promised land, that home that he had done so long ago. But it's not just that he has the grace to do that. It's not just that he has the desire to do that. But that he has the power to do that to do that, that he has the power to overcome. Moses, or God sends Moses, right, his ambassador to Pharaoh, and Moses says what? He says, let these people go. 
You need to free them. And Pharaoh kind of bows up and is like, you're not going to tell me what to do. And he says no. And what happens over the course of time is those 10 plagues of Egypt, each one consecutively worse than the one before it, until we get to the last one where the firstborn of every Egyptian passes away, all those that are not covered in the blood of the lamb. It's another testimony for another time. And Pharaoh sees the depth of that and says, get out. Get out. And as they walk out, we see the the Egyptians, like they just pour wealth on them. They give them gold and jewels and all this other stuff. And they're like, yeah, let us help you leave. The faster you can do this, the better. But as they come, as they come out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea and Obviously, there's a problem here. It's how are we going to get across this? The problem is multiplied, though. It's magnified when Pharaoh shows back up on the scene, and he has had a change of heart. He's like, what have I done? Like, I've let this people group go. I've let all these slaves go, all this force. What have I done? And so he gathers his chariots, his army, and he chases after Egypt, and he pins them so that they're back against the Red Sea, Pharaoh's on the other side, and they've got nowhere to go. They look at Moses, and they're like, what'd you do, bring us out here to die? We were better off when we were slaves. And again, they cry out to God, we need help, we need salvation. And God does the miraculous. He parts the Red Sea. He makes a way where there was no way. And the Israelites cross on dry land One of the parts of this story that we often forget, though, is they cross on dry land, but there's still the problem of Egypt. No matter where they go or what they do, Egypt is always going to pursue them, and pursue them, Pharaoh does. He drives in, he takes his chariots into the sea. He goes on that same dry ground that Israel had just used, thinking that it would stay open for him as well. Of course, we know that that doesn't happen. God releases the sea. It goes back to where it was. And Pharaoh and all all his chariots are destroyed completely. And God severs the tie between Egypt and slavery and his people. No longer are they going to be pursued. No longer are they going to be bothered. They are free indeed. Well, you can imagine the emotions here. I think it's important for us to understand academically the story. Like, it's important for us to understand the details and to think, oh, yeah, that's, a, that's interesting history. Those are interesting facts. I think we need to understand the emotion of the moment as well. You've been a slave all your life. You've been under the thumb of Egypt. There was, you were hopeless. You were helpless. There was nothing you could have done, nothing anyone else could have done. You've walked out of Egypt with riches poured on you. You found yourself stuck in a situation where there was no way, where death was certain, and God has just allowed you to cross the sea on dry ground and destroyed your enemies behind you. No wonder, no wonder that Moses and Miriam break out into a song of praise. It is, after all, a natural response. They're excited. God has freed them. And not just kind of, but totally. He has not just gotten them out of Egypt. He has not just brought them out of that place of hardship, but he has severed all ties with that place of slavery. 
They are free indeed. And so they sing. They proclaim what God has done. It may seem a little odd at first that they sing this testimony of God's power, but after all, isn't that what we do every Sunday? Every Sunday we're called to do that, to sing hymns and choruses of what God has done in our lives and who he is and how he has a relationship with us. It's a natural thing to do. Not only that, but there is another aspect to this, that this is how stories were passed on often, was through music, because it's easier to remember. Many of us would have a hard time if I ask you for 10 verses, and I said, recite 10 verses out of the Scripture. There are many of you that would have a hard time with it. I, I struggle with memorizing verses. It's not something that comes easy for me me for a song from 1955, and I can probably sing it to you. Not well, but I can probably sing it to you. I was 10, by the way, just so. Some of you can remember songs from longer than that, and you can sing them to me. Why? Because our brains are built in a way that song helps us to remember things, the patterns and the beats. They allow us to remember certain truths in a way that the spoken word does not. And so, Miriam and Moses sing this song to Israel, not just so that they can proclaim the greatness of God, but so that they can inspire others, so that they can encourage others, and that this song and these deeds may be remembered, not just now, but going on. It's one of the reasons that we sing on Sunday morning. It's not just a, an act of worship, but it's so that we may communicate in, a, in an effective manner what God has done for us. Many of us, you might struggle to remember every detail of a sermon, but you ask somebody their favorite hymn and what it means to them and what it means in their testimony or ask them for their favorite chorus. And we can remember those things because there's something in the way that God has built us. And it's like I said, it's an inspiration to others, an encouragement to others of what God has done and what he is doing and what he will do. It's interesting here as you go through the song, they talk about what God has done in freeing them. They talk about what God has done in creating a way through the Red Sea and parting the Red Sea and then what he has done in destroying Pharaoh. But notice that it also talks about what God is going to do. It says that in verse 13, you have led your steadfast, in your steadfast love, the people you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard and trembled. The pangs have seized the inhabitants of where? Not Egypt, Philistine, that land to come. Now the chiefs of Edom are dismayed and trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. They're not just speaking of what God has done in the past and in the present, but they are confidently encouraged towards what he is going to do in the future. This is what our testimonies do. It's not just about talking about what God has done in the past or what he's doing in the future, but it inspires us to believe that he will be faithful in what is to come. It's also a call to others. A call to others. I always and there on accident, but a call to others. 
It says here that when they concluded that then Miriam, Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and she sang, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. She's re-singing that song that Moses had just done, the, the song that Israel had just sang. Miriam and the women gather together and they begin to sing it again. Because the, the act of testifying, the act of worship isn't just to inspire others, it's a call for them to join. It's a call for others to participate in what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. When we share our story, when we share our testimony of grace, there should be that inspiration that happens that other people hear it and they, they are encouraged by it. But there also is a part of that testimony that should invite them to know the same. That's why we've talked about in the past that when we share our testimony, it isn't always a call for us to share from the moment of our salvation until now. Sometimes it's a call for us to share an answered prayer. For someone to come to us and say, I'm struggling with a, a relationship. I'm struggling with a difficulty at my job. I'm struggling with finances. I'm struggling with family matters. I'm struggling with this sin in my life that I can't seem to get victory over all of these things. That we share that part of our life and say, let me tell you about what God has done. Let me tell you about what he has accomplished in my life. Just this one scene, just this one chapter in my life. Let me tell you how you can be a part of that as well, how he can do the same for you. After all, this story that Moses and Miriam are sharing, it is a foreshadowing of something much grander. We too are a helpless people in a hopeless situation if you can, look with me quickly at Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. Paul is writing in Romans about the desperation of our situation. He is writing about our need for a Savior. And in chapter 17, he kind of comes to the culmination of all of this. He has been talking about the law and how the law exposes our wrongdoing, how it exposes our sin. And starting in verse 18, he begins to talk about himself. And really, I think any of us could probably say the same. It says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep doing. Now, do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then I love verse 25. 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul speaks of the hopeless, helpless situation that we find ourselves in. That though we may want to do right, though we may want to follow well, that we as human beings will always go back to sin. That we will always go back to making decisions based on what we want to do. It is the natural state of humanity. And it continues. You notice he uses the word captive. It it continues to encircle us and entangle us till we can't get ourselves free. There's so much entrapment in that moment that we can't do anything about it on our own and no one else can help us. There is no one there with a hundred bucks that can make it suddenly all go away. There isn't someone there with the right answer that suddenly it's all gonna be okay. Instead, we must cry out, as we heard even in the testimony this morning, we must cry out, Lord, help us. Just as Israel did. Lord, help us. Save us. Thankfully, it is the grace of God for that he desires to free us. Romans 10, flipping over there really quickly. Romans 10, verse four, starting in verse 14. How then, or sorry, I'm going to back up a little. Verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will desire, it's his grace that wants us to be free, that wants us to to remove us from the slavery of sin, to remove us from us the consequences of our own decision. And the incredible thing is not only does he have the desire to set you free, but he has the power to overcome. He has the power to overcome. Chapter 2, going a little bit farther to your right there, starting in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who fear death, though all those who fear death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to make be made like his brothers in every aspect so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It is not just that God desires to set you free from slavery. It is that he himself has won the victory. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life without sin so that he did not deserve the consequence. He did not deserve death, but he voluntarily took it upon himself for us. He paid what we could not pay so that we could have freedom 
It is not just that God desires for you to free. It is that he has made a way and he has been victorious over sin. He has been victorious over death. He has been victorious over the grave. And now he has made a way where there was no way before. Just as all those years ago, he had made a way in the sea where there was no way in the sea before. And now all we must do is walk through it. This is the grace of God. That he desires for you to be free and free indeed. Not entangled. Not a slave to sin. Not trapped by your own consequences. But able to live and live fully. And he offers all of it. And what he asks in return is that you follow him. That's what he asked in return. If you're here this morning, maybe you see yourself in Israel. Maybe you would say, I feel trapped. I feel trapped this morning. There's a sin in my life that there's a, an addiction in my life. There's something else that's controlling me. Maybe it's for you, it's work. Maybe for you, it's worry. Hi, we have a club. We are the warriors. Maybe, maybe you're tra- you feel trapped by guilt or unforgiveness. But you would say, I understand what it means to be between the sea and the, and the danger and not feel like there's any way out. This morning I would ask, do you understand your need? I've had so many conversations with folks that they're like, well, if I could just change this. If I could just get rid of this addiction, if I could just change this in my life, if I could just have family, or if I could, we could just have kids, or if I could just get a raise at work, or if I could just get a different job, or if I could just do this or that, that everything would be better. And yet what we find What we find is that when we replace those things, when we get that different job or we get that raise or we find that perfect family, that it doesn't do what we thought it was going to do. That we still feel trapped. Do you understand that your need is not just to change the situation you find yourself in? The need is for you to know Christ for him to change everything, for him to set you free. Which brings to the last question, have you known God's salvation? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you found yourself trapped and afraid? Have you found yourself with nowhere to go? And have you cried out to him and said, Lord, I need you. I want to follow you. If you will do that this morning, then I promise you, he will make a way. It may not be the way that you intended. It may not be the way that you want even. Lots of times in my life, God answers the prayer. He says, this is the way out of the situation. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure it's not that way? But I find when I follow him that I find freedom and freedom indeed. For those of you that have experienced this, for those of you that know, then you know what comes next. You, we 
We invite you to come and see. If you've been trapped, come and see a God who hears our calls. Come and see a God who loves his people. Come and see a God who saves. This is the testimony of Moses and Miriam. Come and see a God who saves, a God who sets free. And when we experience that, then the natural desire, our natural want should be to share our story, to testify just as Moses and Miriam do. And so we come back to those three questions that we've asked earlier. What is your story? This is something we're going to be reminding us ourselves of over and over again. What is your story? What is your story of grace? What has God done in your life? He may not have parted the Red Sea, but I guarantee you that he has made a way where there was no way in your life. And my guess is more than once. Do you know your story? Do you know it well? Who are you telling? Who are you telling about your story? The desire of Moses and Miriam when they cross the Red Sea is not to go shrug their shoulders and go, well, that was fun, let's keep going. There was, a, there was a point of stopping and saying, glory to God, we're alive. Can you believe what just happened? I had a pastor of mine tell me this week, we were talking about testimonies, and he said, every testimony is personal, but it's never intended to be private. Every testimony is personal. Your testimony is personal to you. It's something that he has done in your life and in your life alone. It's uniquely molded to who you are. There's a personal connection to it. There's an emotion to it. Some of it we're proud of. Some of it we're not. But it's never meant to be private. I think we've confused those two terms at times. It is personal, but it's meant to be shared. Because you don't know who in your sphere of influence is going through some of the same things. And they need to know that God saves. They need to know that God loves. They need to know that God hears. They need to know that God forgives. They need to know that he is there. And maybe it's part of your story. The personal story that he's given you that they need to hear so that they may know him. Not only who are you telling it to, but who are you praying for? We need not be confused that the act of telling someone our testimony means that they automatically are saved. Don't be dismayed when you tell someone your testimony or you share with them and they shrug their shoulders and walk away. You be obedient. You are not the savior of the world. You're not the savior of your family. You're not the savior of your friends. Christ is. He has commanded you to tell the world of the good news that you've experienced, of the salvation that you know, but it is him who saves. So who are you praying for? What names are on your list of God? Save them. Make their heart of stone turn into a heart of flesh. Make a way where there is no way. Make a way where there is no way. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up. We're going to have a time of response to the word of God this morning.
maybe you would sit here this morning and you would say, I'm trapped. I'm entangled. I can't get free. There's so much in the world that has me bound up and I can't do anything about it. This morning, would you cry out to God, save me. Save me. I want to follow you. I want to take after you. If you will, if you will pray that prayer, I promise you, he will save you. He will make a way where there is no way. This morning, maybe you're here and you have that testimony. You know of times that he has made a way. You know of times that he has gotten you out. And this morning, the question is, who are you telling and who are you praying for? Simple, simple challenge. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you have made a way. Lord, that we found ourselves entangled in sin and in our own desires and what we found was that they are empty and hollow. That when we go that direction, we find ourselves often in a mess. And we need you. Father, I pray. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the humbleness to cry out, Lord, save me. Maybe it's someone here that's never prayed that prayer before. They've never spoken to you in their life, but today they would say, I need that. Lord, I pray that you would give them that courage and that humility to pray out. Lord, I pray for the believer that sits here this morning that they are entrapped. There's a sin in their life that has a hold of them that they can't get rid of. Lord, that it is embarrassing, that it is uh, something that they pray no one ever finds out about. And Lord, they want so desperately to be rid of it. Lord, I pray that today that they would cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, that you would make a way where there was no way. Lord, I pray that as those things happen, Lord, that you would help us to testify, to share the story of grace that you've done in our life. Lord, I ask this in your name.